Hi, everyone. Welcome to Brain Talks. I'm Deborah Kahn, executive editor and founder of Being Patient. What do dolphins have to do with Alzheimer's? It sounds a little bit strange to link the two, but research is actually studying um, a link between Alzheimer's symptoms in dolphins. And we have with us today um, a researcher, Deborah Mash, who joins us from the Miller Center at the University of Miami. Deborah, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. So let's just start with the very beginning. How was there ever um, a link be between studying Alzheimer's disease in dolphins? The connection here was really a great detective story. We became involved in the discovery of the cyanobacterial toxin beta-methylaminoalanine, or abbreviated BMAA through our collaborative program with Paul Allen Cox. Dr. Cox had made the original discovery that this toxin, which he had linked from the island of Guam with a disorder called ALS Parkinsonism Dementia Complex, or three diseases in people who were exposed to this toxin on the island. So in other words, ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease Parkinsonism of what we know is associated with the loss of dopamine in Parkinson's disease, and then dementia. And some people had more symptoms of the, the motor symptoms of ALS, while others had more of the dementia. And he is an ethnobotanist. So he wanted to know why people were being stricken with this horrible disorder. And he looked into what they were eating. And he discovered that they were eating these fruit bats that the, would eat uh, what are called um, cycad seeds. Cycads are very old plants. And he discovered that this toxin was being biomagnified up the food chain. So he came to me and, and my uh, former chairman in the Department of Neurology, Dr. Walter Bradley, who himself is an expert in the, in the disorder ALS, said, you have a brain bank. And I'm the former founder and director of the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine Brain Endowment Bank, one of the largest postmortem collection biorepository of human brains from people who have suffered from dementia, Alzheimer's disease, and other disorders of, of the brain. And so he said, you have a collection of brains from North Americans. Will you please check? Can we set these methods up in your laboratory? Will you test the brain tissue to see if you can detect this toxin? So we did that. He bought us the equipment. We put the equipment in the laboratory. We trained up some very talented young scientists in my group. And we began down this detective story. We took brains from people who had suffered with Alzheimer's disease, we also took brains from people who suffered with Huntington's disease. And as you and your listeners may know, Huntington's is a genetic disorder. So this was an interesting sort of control group to test the hypothesis. And we took ALS patients. And we also took healthy, unaffected controls who were age matched. And what we discovered is we could detect this toxin in postmortem brain tissue brains that were donated for research from Alzheimer's disease patients. 
there was a rather high frequency of detection, as a matter of fact. Only incidental detection in people who were unaffected healthy controls, and we also found it in ALS, but we didn't see it in Huntington's. So what what made you okay? Let's let's go to the that link a little bit later. But I'm curious what led you to link this to dolphins. Like what? Why would you think let's study dolphins? Well, the next thing is where is it coming from? Because North Americans are not eating fruit bats, right? And so it had to come from somewhere. So we did a collaborative study with uh, colleagues at the Rosenstiel's uh, Marine Science Group. And that took us into the marine food web. And we tested fish and shrimps and crabs from all parts, all complex levels of the marine food web. And of course, what then becomes very interesting is apex predators and sharks are long lived and dolphins are apex predators. So we were led with grant funding from the Hoover Foundation to test marine organisms. And that's what led us over to dolphins because we found it in the marine food web and we found high concentrations in sharks along with methylmercury in them. And we know that this toxin is synergistic with methylmercury. So there, that now you have a one-two punch because you have mercury, in, there's mercury in our brains. We all get exposed to mercury in the environment. And now you have this cyanobacterial toxin in the marine food web. Was it possible that this could be contributing to the disease, especially in people who marry, maybe carry a genetic risk for Alzheimer's disease? So was the, was the source algae? Is it plankton? Like what, what was feeding? What, what was, how was it getting into the food system? Certainly, it's blue-green algae. It's it's algal blooms, and you may know that here in Florida, we're we suffer from very large algal blooms. We were our coastline was slimed with horrible algal blooms. We've had red tide outbreaks on the western part from the Gulf Coast. So, looking at the marine food web in the Florida coastline, we're surrounded by by water. Then it becomes a very uh, important study. Also, what was very fascinating, I had presented our work early on and Swedish investigators who looked at the same possibility only now in the Baltic Sea found the very same pattern that we published in our manuscript. In other words, it's in the, it's in the marine food web it's concentrated in the bottom feeders, which makes perfect sense because the algae will filter down and then the bottom feeders will, will feast on it. And of course, dolphins are like us. They eat everything. They're omnivores. They come in, they move around a lot. They go into estuaries. They'll eat crabs. They'll, they'll go into shallow water. They'll go into deep water. So they're like us. And that was, that was the idea here that the dolphins could be a sentinel for what we're being exposed to. So I'm curious about the mercury component of this because um, you know, we hear about increased toxins, especially metals and you know, uh, in, in, in our brains could in fact put us at a higher risk. Um, can we make that direct correlation in this case? 
Well, I think we can. I mean, first of all, our environment is a toxic cesspool. You know, we're still trying to understand what causes Alzheimer's disease. And I started my career in Alzheimer in the Alzheimer field. And this was I, I, more than 30 years ago. OK, it was when I was doing my original research when I was at, at Harvard Medical School and even before that. So we where's the breakthroughs? I mean, we know there are genes that are linked to the disorder, but there's also sporadic Alzheimer's disease. The most important gene um, among many important genes is, of course, the APOE risk allele and actually the, the uh, APOE4. The APOE4. And Margaret Parachek Vance, who pioneered this work when she was at Duke and her, with her, together with her collaborators, is at the University of Miami. This, if you carry that, Allele, you're at risk, and we know that, and that's been shown again and again and again. But it's got to be more than that. It's got to be a one-two punch. And I think we're beginning to to look away from the amyloid story, my opinion. Okay, you know, I, uh, this has been a religion. You're either an, an amyloidist, an apoeist, or a Taoist. You can Taoist, pick, yeah. yeah. You can pick your religion. And But when I study the human brain, and I've spent my years doing this, you look at this pathology in the brain and, and they're markers of tombstones. They're markers of dead neurons, right? They're dead neurons. Tau, tau is everywhere in the brain and they're marking dead neurons. So is tau really the causative agent or is tau signaling that we've got sick neurons? Amyloid throughout the brain, you know, at normal aging has amyloid. So would the dolphin study suggest that an ingestion of toxins could lead to a very dehabilitated state of the brain? Because I mean, the way we understand Alzheimer's today is, you know, you could have the presence of plaques in your brain before you ever see a symptom. So you have the plaques and then come the tangles. And when you get to an inflammatory state, which is the tipping point, that's yeah. when you tend to see a symptom of Alzheimer's. Absolutely. So, Where's the correlation in terms of, you know, is it is it that maybe we're ingesting or is it a, um, too many toxins? Is it a combination of a lot of factors? What can we conclude um, from what we've we've seen in dolphins? The, of course, you know, as a good scientist, proximity is not causality. Just because we measure these toxins in the brains of dolphins, we can't say with absolute certainty that, okay, we see some features of Alzheimer pathology in the dolphin. The dolphin has BMAA and methylmercury. Voila, this is what's going on. However, it's quite interesting because we looked at, you know, it's a small sample size, but we looked at accidental kill in a dolphin uh, and dolphins, and we didn't see the BMA in the pathology. So it's a it's an interesting observation that would suggest that one, the marine environment is somehow factoring into the equation of disease risk, dietary risk, in other words. And number two, that uh, algal blooms are again, which are getting worse with global, with the change in climate and the increased blooms, we're gonna have more of this. And they're seeing it in the Baltic Sea, we're seeing it here. I hear in Israel, you know, that they're, they're 
they're having problems in other places. And then look at the incidence. Just think. Look at the incidence of dementia in Japan. So take us through how, I mean, you know, I understand the link with the dolphins in terms of the food chain, but take us through what you actually studied and how did you find these dolphins and what did you actually see in the brains of the dolphins? So the dolphin study was a collaboration again, uh, because we, you know, we're not marine biologists. I, I know nothing about marine biology. So this was a collaboration uh, again with the, with the scientists at the uh, Rosenstiel School of Atmospheric Science and um, we in marine biology. So we wanted to uh, get in there with the experts. And then we also worked with Woods Hole uh, and we got some dolphins uh, tissues uh, that necropsies that were done on animals that were, had been beached. And so those, that, collection of brains from dolphins were studied in the laboratory. And basically what we did is to do an anatomical uh, workup on these cases, that was the same as neuropathologists would do in the human brain after death to diagnose the Alzheimer's. So the fact that they were beached meant that you could actually conduct autopsies on their brains, right? And that's where you saw the presence of this um, bacteria. Yes, and that's where we were able to measure the toxin because the bacteria, you know, makes the toxin. So we measured for the BMAA, we measured the toxin in the brain of the dolphin. We also looked at mercury in the brain of the dolphin, as we had done previously in our study in sharks. And then we did a full neuropathological workup, and that was done by a very talented scientist in my group, Dr. David Davis. And Dr. Davis, who was virtually blinded to condition, worked up these animals. We sectioned the brain exactly according to the same protocols that you would do for a human brain. And we also invited uh, a neuropathologist to look at the tissues again. So we made, we did many different steps in our scientific study. We took extra steps to make certain that what we were looking at in the dolphin brain really resembled the pathology that you see in the human brain, because of course, a dolphin brain is not uh, identical to us and the proteins and the genes, et cetera, that, you know, what's expressed in the brain, a mechanism of pathology in the dolphin brain may or may not be exactly a one-to-one with what's going on in our brain. So can you say, though, that you found beta amyloid plaque in the dolphin's brains? Yes, we did. And the is it the same type of plaque that are in human brains? Is it is it identical or? You can never say for certainty that it's identical. But we believe that it is. We believe that the pathology resembles well enough what we see in human brains. And but how can you determine that? How, how do you determine the likeness of the plaque in two different species brains? That's simple. You use antibodies that are specific for amyloid. So the, the, we have techniques now that allow us to actually target proteins, abnormal proteins. And antibodies haven't been developed in the dolphin brain. They've been developed in the human brain. So we're using antibodies that are highly specific. 
So Deborah, I have to say, there's probably a lot of people watching thinking like, well, why does this all matter? What does this mean in the spectrum of research for humans and looking for that cure? I think that the message here, the take home message for your listeners is to stay healthy. That healthy living, wellness, understanding that, you know, we are not, our genetics is not completely our destiny that you want to shy away from inflammation. You raised it, absolutely. Inflammation is, is going to accelerate and not only brain disorders, but many other conditions as well. I think being careful about what you eat. Um, I'm an omnivore, I eat everything. And I'll eat shrimp. Really? I was going to ask you that. Do you eat the bottom feeders? <laughs> yeah, do, we, do we eat the bottom feeders? Which is interesting because some groups of people don't and they may know something that other people should learn. I sure never ate a lot of bottom feeders in my lifetime. Um, I've had some more recently, but I don't eat a lot of them. I, if I eat them, I eat them rarely. I think you can definitely have, you know, too much of a good thing. One anecdote, we had a a person who came to autopsy and donated his brain and he suffered from ALS. And you know that ALS is also uh, has features of frontotemporal dementia and sometimes the two disorders are linked. So we're very interested in the, in the frontotemporal dementias as well as other dementing disorders, classic Alzheimer's disease and, uh, and, and, and diffuse Lewy body disease as well. This man was a young man who, who was stricken with ALS and he um, lived in the Keys and he ate lobsters almost every day. He even had lobsters in his uh, freezer when he died. And they went in and they measured the BMA and the lobsters in the freezer and they found it. Don't eat too much of the bottom feeders. That would be my message. So I, I'm curious though, because like in the, like dolphins in some sense, you know, you don't have a lot of control or we don't even know really what's in our food. A lot of times we're eating it. You know, sometimes we just go to the supermarket and we give every, everything a benefit of the doubt, but we actually have no idea how many toxins are in our foods. So how can you actually control that? You know, I mean, yes. Okay. We can avoid eating shrimp every single day, but there, there's a lot of toxins out there. So that could potentially impact the brain. So, um, you know, the fact that you're finding it in the food chain in dolphins makes me think it's less in our control. What, what, what we can actually control. No, I don't think so. I think that you, uh, you know, I think that you have some control. You don't need to, you don't need to eat too much protein. I think the American diet is too chock full of protein myself. I think if you look at the amount of protein that anybody should have in their diet, you know, I cringe when I see, you know, I go into restaurants and people are eating, you know, 18 to 24 ounces of, you know, red meat. You don't need that much protein. I think, you know, if you listen to Sanjay Gupta and others, I happen to be a fan of his, um, mix it up, you know, take more plant protein, take more plant protein. And, you know, hopefully, you know, people who have a healthy diet, and I think we have some good evidence on what's a healthy diet, I'm getting protein from other sources, whether it's, you know, bone broth or lentils, 
uh, in addition to supplement what you eat from the marine food web is very important. Now we're killing our oceans. Yeah. Look at, look at, look at what we're doing. Yeah. And I think that we, we, uh, as a, as a human family are going to be exposed to many more toxins in our environment. This could be one of many toxins that are contributing to diseases of the human brain. We so where is the dolphin study going from here? Are we, have we concluded what we needed to conclude is, or are we moving on or are we going to dig deeper? Where, where's it going from here? Well, you have to replicate. I mean, any, any good scientist is going to say replicate, replicate, replicate. And um, again, I emphasize that proximity is not causality. This is a, a first study. No one is, there's very few studies of the dolphin brain anyway. If you look in the scientific literature, you, it's hard, they're hard to find. So to even have this type of pathology, and there was another paper that was uh, appeared in the literature where the, actually the investigators used different methods and they, they reported some age-related changes in dolphins. I think we need additional studies. I think we need to look at dolphins around the planet. You know, as, as people begin, this is where biorepositories are so important. This is why donating your brain after death is so important as something that I've been very passionate about in my lifetime because it's, we are learning more about the genetics of so many disorders of the brain. The brain is the next biological frontier. We've learned more about the human brain in the last 20 years than throughout all of human history. And the only way we're gonna be able to come to really you know, razor sharp absolutes is to do large scale studies. We can't look at a dozen dolphin brains and make large conclusions. We have to have a much larger collection, a much larger survey from different parts of the world. At the same time, we need to understand why these toxins could be causal to the disorder, if indeed they are. How similar are, is a dolphin brain to a human brain? They're very similar. They're very similar. I mean, they're, they're big brains, right? They, the difference here is that they use, they don't talk, but they use a different kind of sound. So parts of the brain that process that kind of information, those communication centers in the dolphin brains and how they navigate um, are larger than ours and different than ours. But the neurons are there, the, neuro, the glia are there, the proteins are there, the neurotransmitters are there. So they share you know, many of the same not only structural, but chemical components that we have in our brain. So I'm assuming it's humans are most closely related brain. I'm, I'm speaking only about the brains, but humans um, are most closely related to primate brains. And then would you say dolphins next or where is it on the, the scale? You know, I mean, look, we're, you know, we, we talk and we walk, you know, we're different than, uh, than uh, those that swim. So there are going to be differences, but again, that, that's functional, right? That's functionality. Dolphins are very smart. I think everyone knows that. They're very clever. Um, they have magnificent uh, ways of communicating and, um, and they're beautiful creatures. Uh, whales too. I mean, it'd be fascinating to look at the, the brain of whales. I would love, love to have that uh, tissue. We don't have that tissue because nobody set up those kinds of biorepositories. You know, we have the largest supercomputer of anyone in the world today located at Oak Ridge National Labs. 
they have a premier group of bioinformaticists. They're able to handle big data in ways that have we have never even anticipated, that in my scientific career, I would never believe possible. We're going to be able, if we have the tissues, if we have the brains donated for medical research, if we ask the, the community of you know, citizen scientists that listen to your program to join us and, and to donate their brains to the NIH neurobiobanks and to other uh, brain bank donation programs around the world, we're gonna get these answers. And if we have the marine biology groups who are interested in the possibility that we can learn from the ocean, then they'll begin to collect these tissues too, and we're on our way. It's really fascinating research, um, Deborah. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. And you know, we hope to keep abreast um, of any new developments, anything that you learn. Um, but it is fascinating, and it does really validate the belief that you know we we do have control over the health of our brains in terms of what we're putting into our bodies so thank you so much for your research how do people stay abreast of your research if if they want more information i think you know the the wonder of the internet that uh, you can just um you know google our, our the brain endowment bank at the university of miami school of medicine but also um uh, please follow us, follow the work of my collaborator, Dr. David, David Davis and myself, and uh, stay tuned. We'll, there'll be more to report. Great. Thank you so much. And of course, as always on beingpatient.com, we will post these interviews um, so that you can watch them on demand if you missed any of this. Uh, we're very appreciative to Deborah Mash for joining us um, from Miami and good luck with your research. Thank you very much.